Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 113 of the Hawks Talk podcast and all things Atlanta Hawks podcast hosted by two lifelong Hawks fans. But for today, we I'm not joined by Logan. Logan is on vacation. So I've called in a co-host of mine from a different podcast. For you guys who don't know, I do another podcast called Draft Class Dropouts. But today I'm joined by my lovely co-host on there, Garrett. Garrett, how are you doing today? Great. Glad to be on again. We, we did a draft podcast earlier this uh, season. And I wanted to do another one. Here we are. Yeah, in the meantime, we hadn't even started our podcast together, but for those who are unaware, which is pretty hard because, I mean, me and Logan even promote that podcast pretty hard in our normal episodes. Me and Garrett, we do a podcast together called Draft Class Dropouts with our friend Tim. It's pretty good listen. You know, I know a lot of people aren't informed about draft prospects, especially among the Hawks fan base, just because I don't think feel like any of us expect to be draft players this year. But hey, we are. But if you want to catch up on some stuff we've talked about we have, what, three episodes? Four? Three or four. And we talked about like a bunch of stuff. We talked about the internationals on our last episode. And I thought that was really good because even some people were just reaching out like, hey, I didn't know who these guys were. Listen to the podcast. And like now I have like knowledge about them. So, hey, look, links in the description to that. But anyways, Garrett, we have a bunch of stuff to talk about. The conference finals are starting up in the NBA. The teams for it have... Uh, have have been qualified. There was some rough games for some NBA teams tonight, and by that I mean the uh, the Suds. But uh, we're here to talk about the Hawks in the draft. So Garrett, first things first. Welcome to the podcast, man. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, I've, I'm finally feeling like I I feel really comfortable with my draft board. I've got just a few guys at the end of the second round before I publish my board for for the final time, and we got the combine coming up. And you know, after that, I mean, it's pretty. There's really not anything else that happens in the cycle. So what you got on your board, you got on your board. So I'm excited. We're starting to come up to the draft and start seeing how some teams change their futures. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm especially excited about the Hawks. I mean, the Hawks, like going into this year, we weren't really a team who was like, I mean, coming off the Eastern Conference Finals appearance, it's like, all right, yeah, we're doing that again. And then like midway through the season, it's like, okay, we're kind of bad. And then like get to the play-ins, you know, we kind of we kind of sneak our way into the playoffs. I feel like that's fair to say with two wins. And one of those was, you know, Pretty, pretty much just luck because Trey just went off against the Cavaliers. And then, like, against the Heat, you know, <laughs> that we lost at five. You know, it happens. But it's like, hey, during the midst of all that, but, like, we did kind of become draft players again. We actually do have a pretty interesting pick. We pick at 16, which is just outside the lottery. You know, the lottery ends at 14, and, hey, we're at 16. So it's not out of the realm that, like, somebody who's projected top 10 t- now could fall to us after the combine and after teams interview their players. So, uh, Garrett, I first of all, I feel like the best way we could start this episode is by me, you know, kind of outlining this Hawks roster and especially what this Hawks like future roster, like what I think happens over this offseason. I feel like that'll give you a, a good idea of like what what we need in the draft. Uh, I, I know personally, sometimes it's hard for me to watch the Hawks, so I can't imagine you would watch the Hawks. I'm, you know, just being polite. No, no. No, no, I, I watched that five game five game series there. That, that <laughs> was that was a rough stretch, to be fair. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Well, it, it did also expose some of the things that the Hawks can work on this postseason, or from in their postseason like line, lineup building. Yeah, no, we have a that that was a rough one. That yeah, no, that was bad. Um, you know, I feel like this all season with the Hawks, I kind of feel like the Heat just kind of the Heat kind of exposed us. To be honest, I mean, Spolster did what he does best. You know, Spolster just. Coach, coach circles around Nate McMillan in the most polite way. I mean, he had Trey looking like, as I've said before on the podcast, DJ Augustine with Quavo's phone number. It was a rough series for Trey. It was a rough season, rough series for the Hawks. But I feel like the number one thing the Hawks have, have to do this year at the bare minimum, like this is above, you know, trading for like an uh, all-star guy or whatever, is the Hawks have to improve their defense in some way. 
I feel like the Hawks really struggle with that. The Hawks were pretty dependent on DeAndre Hunter, especially like wing defense and perimeter defense. They were so dependent on DeAndre Hunter. And you could tell that like Hunter's workload on defense affected how he was able to perform an offense. Like the guy was gassed. I mean, especially going against the Heat who were just, you know, I mean, they're doing a bunch of stuff on offense. They're sending guys off the, you know, off the screens and whatnot. They're, you know, constantly playing the pick and roll. You're constantly having to communicate and switch. I feel like at the bare minimum, this Hawks team, they have to, they have to improve their perimeter defense. That's like my that's like my bare minimum of what I want going into next year. It's like I, I want to put this into perspective. Our our best defender for a good part of this playoffs was DeLon Wright. And like, think about that. Like he was a yeah. he he was a backup point guard and he at one point this year he was out of our rotation. Like, I don't know. But yeah, going off of that, Garrett, I do want to ask you about some names at 16. What are what are some what are some guys you're liking at you know that pick 16 for us? Yeah, I mean, first off, I think it's it's really is two years running. Uh, DeAndre Hunter feeling like the best wing defender on the team, and uh, as a Virginia fan in in college ball, uh, I hate to say this so early in his career, but he really needs to be on a minutes load at, at, all the way up to the postseason. When you're in the regular season trying to pick up wins to get home court advantage, you really got to have some other guys who can step up when he's not able to play, because inevitably, I think he is going to be a guy who comes in and out of the injury report. So. Wing defenders are 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 really important, and I think there's a guy who has been coming up on the draft board, so he might go lottery before the Hawks get him. I think the guys we're going to talk about first are guys that are kind of ideal scenarios, and one of them is Dyson Daniels for me. I, I know we both really like him. Uh, maybe you could give us, us an idea of where you think he fits on, in on the Hawks, and I could give kind of a rundown of his game otherwise. Yeah, my thing with Dyson is, and I've said this on the podcast, I think before, he's like my ideal, you know, draft pick for the Hawks at 16. And I just think like his fit next to Trey, I really like it. I like his ability to play next to Trey. I mean, he's a guy who can carry some of the ball handling loads. I mean, if you watch the Hawks, I mean, the, the ball is going to be in Trey's hand for a significant portion of their offense. And that's just now. But I feel like the Hawks can evolve, whether that's, you know, getting an all star guy. But Dyson Daniels, I think he's a very good start to that. He's a guy with a size who can play next to Trey. He's a guy who can, you know, take some of that ball handling pressure on him. It's like if you have a guy like Dyson Daniels, you you really can't, you know, do what the Heat did, where the Heat were just throwing like these like junk defenses where it's like, hey, at all costs, make sure that Trey Young struggles having the ball in his hand. Make sure he has to pass off. Make sure someone else has to beat us. And that's where I like Dyson Daniels. He's personally, my on my board, he's the highest uh, ranked G League Ignite player for me, which is kind of fun. Um, I really like his fit on the Hawks. I really like his fit next to Trey, especially. I really like the idea of him playing next to Trey. I saw like a lot of stuff on off-ball offense this year from Dyson Daniels playing next to uh, Jaden Hardy and Pooh Jeter. I believe that's his name. I may be getting that wrong. Yeah. But. No, that's it. There. Okay, there I go. See, look at me. I almost forgot that one. I haven't watched an Ignite game in a while. But yeah, I really like that. I really like his ability to play, you know, off ball of those guys, but also able to get in those situations where he does have the ball in his hands and he can make something happen. Yeah, I think that Dyson Daniels uh, is currently underrated by the draft community. So just saying that already when he's already late lottery, maybe another team thinks the same way as I do. But in the Hawks case, you hope not. I, I, I'm just being honest, I'm a Wizards fan and I would hope the Wizards take him too. But uh, he's 6'8. Uh, but he plays kind of a point guard role for Ignite, um, and he and he's probably the best uh, perimeter defender in that range, like right now. I'm, there's some other guys who probably are projected to catch up to him in that ability, but right now he he's just easily the best perimeter defender in the lottery. Um, he's uh, he's new to being six eight. Supposedly he's grown like three inches in the, like the last two years, um, and I just see him as like almost like a Danny Green type. Where he just brings a lot of calmness to both sides of the ball. Uh, where he's not like super, he's not extremely explosive, even though he's a high-level athlete. But explosion isn't really where his athleticism shows out. 
but he plays with like a great pace uh very controlled and that also applies to the defensive end where he's just not really mistake prone and and he just stays in front of his guy with ease and just seems like everything to him everything's coming naturally and he has like a really high iq so for me the, like the main concern with dyson is that he his shot but uh talking to our, our friend qk hoops who also does the draft class dropouts podcast with us uh we were talking about his shot mechanics and like the shot mechanics early in the season that were kind of worrying us with him where it seemed like he was really uncomfortable just kind of evaporated as the as the cycle went on and, and he was just looking more his form just looked different and he also added a pull-up jumper uh midway through that looks really nice his floater game's elite I just think that the guy is a really well-rounded player. And for the Hawks, where you really can't miss on a draft pick right now, where you're trying to build towards something uh, when you already have some pieces to work with, uh, I think you really can't miss. And he's a guy that just isn't going to be a miss. Yeah, I, I mean, I feel like one thing you mentioned is like the draft committee underrates him. I feel like a lot of people with Dyson Daniels, they look at the potential. They're like six, eight ball skills. Like, I feel like his floor is pretty good. Just off the things you mentioned, like the perimeter defense, like that's obviously 100 percent an area the Hawks can improve in, like bar none. Like that's somewhere they have to improve in if the Hawks want to be, you know, if they want to get back to that contender status that they were at, like after the Eastern Conference Finals this year, they have to improve that perimeter defense. And like you said, you brought up a very good point when you were talking about DeAndre Hunter. I mean, Hunter at this point. I hate to say it, he's not really a guy you can rely on just because like the injuries have been so, you know, he's, I mean, he's been injury prone and he's had like the knee stuff, which is probably the most concerning, you know, injury for me, just because you know how the knee stuff goes. It really never goes away. So it, like you bring in a guy like Dyson Daniels, who, you know, lessens that defensive load on Hunter, but also just improves your, your defense in general. And like, he's a guy who can play next to Trey, which I feel like is really important because at the end of the day, Trey's going to be a guy. He's playing 40 minutes a game in the playoffs. Like if not 40 minutes, he's close to that. Like, if you're drafting somebody, ideally they can either play next to Trey or they're playing the backup point guard position, in my opinion. Yeah, and I think uh, you have to if you're in like Nate McMillan's shoes, or let's say you're a GM drafting a guy and you're and you're trying to put your coach in the best position possible, you need to get a guy on your roster who you can actually tell Trey if you're not ha- on your best game like you were for some segments of this Heat series, you know, this guy can take the ball up and ease the load for you, and you can play a little bit more off ball. And I think they have some guys right now that can at least like handle the ball. But in terms of guys who you actually threaten with their handle, it's kind of few and far between. And uh, I'd I'd really like to see a guy like Dustin Daniels, who's just a patient ball handler who can take take uh, what's available to him and hit floaters or go to the rim. He he's, he can get up there. I, I think he just has a versatile skill set that uh, you know you can go to that in in emergency cases. I think. Yeah, I mean, that's one thing I really like about him is you mentioned, like, the Hawks have a bunch of guys on this team who can handle the ball. Like, Herter can handle the ball, but, like, Herter's not a guy who's going to create the rim pressure like Dyson Daniels does. Like, that's not happening. Dyson Daniels, he can create that rim pressure, and that rim pressure is actually something I feel like the Hawks could very much benefit from. So, I really like the Dyson Daniels. And also, back to this, he if I was the Wizards, if he's on the board when I'm picking and assuming, like, nobody Jurassic Falls, he's who I'm taking. I knew you I knew you mentioned that earlier. I just wanted to get that out there. You know, if I was doing a uh, mock draft, that's who I would take if I was the Wizards. But I'm not Tommy Shepard. So. Yeah, to give you an idea, I have Dyson Daniels at six on my board. But if I'm going by ESPN, which isn't always, like, the best predictor at this point in the cycle, they have him at 10, which and the Wizards are 11. So, yeah. I, it'll be interesting to see uh, if if he's like a, he could be like a Halliburton situation where he's looking for the right best fit and uh, maybe he falls down to the Hawks because he wants to play there. We'll see. 
I would love that. But uh, who's, who's your next guy that you've, who you've uh, you know, listed? Um, so I'm basically going down my own board a little bit. But I have two guys who I think uh, are probably going lottery. But when we, you know, there's probably like 16 to 18 guys we think are going lottery, and that's too many. Uh, so maybe a couple of these guys slip through the cracks. I have Johnny Davis as one. And I have Malachi Branham as another. They're both two guards. I don't know if you have a preference to one that we could talk about. I like Branham more than uh, Davis. I had him ranked higher than... I actually had Davis kind of low. Like, I had Davis at um 18. So, you know, kind of in that Hawks range. But I had uh, I had Branham at 15. And I had Dyson Daniels at 10. Because we've already talked about him. But, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I prefer Branham just because of the shooting. Pretty much. Like, the shooting is, you know, very nice. So that's like my main reason for having him there. Like very much a guy to me who, you know, and the draft age, like cannot, he'll be, he'll be 19 years old on draft day. Like, come on, that's something. And then like, he's hyper efficient, like 49, 41, 83. Like those, those splits are very nice. You know, that's a, that's a real chef's kiss. And in today's NBA where, you know, shooting rules all look, I mean, Hey, I don't, I don't want to like air Neesmith him because I did this with Neesmith where I just purely looked at like the three-point percentage and i ended up having neesmith way higher than i should have but like i don't know man i'm really i'm i'm buying in the brand of shooting I'm, I'm a big fan of his like even in uh even in march madness i i took notice of him and i really liked his game yeah so i actually have both of the ohio state prospects on my list of hawks targets um and i have Branham higher the other one being ej liddell but ej liddell came into this cycle this draft cycle um looking like he was going to be the prospect to watch on Ohio state. He had a breakout year and it's on in the first round of a lot of people's boards, but Branham was completely off the radar. And he and Johnny Davis both had that in common where neither of them were really considered prospects this year, or at least not ones that were like close track guys. And they both broke out in big ways. And with Branham, the biggest thing is that he didn't really have a reputation as a shooter in high school. Like he, he, he is a, a pull-up shooter, but he didn't have like the percentages he had at Ohio State this year. And it's not like a guy who ha- went hot for like five to seven games and then his percentages look really nice. He basically went on a tear for the last two months of the season, maybe even three months, um, and just looked like a completely different player. He's like an average NBA athlete. So he can get he can cut to the rim and he has a really good rim finishing percentage, but he's not like an elite cutter where uh, he's going to be tearing up opposing defenses. But it, I, even though he didn't shoot very well in high school and that's not his reputation, I have to say his shot looks really pretty, and I, I think that he definitely does profile as a shooter to me. Um, but yeah, he's an off-ball player I think primarily, uh, and that that's something that Trey Young can feed off of. Um, I'm not sure that Brandon breaks on into the starting roster as it's currently constructed. Um, but, but, you know, maybe down the line. Yeah. I, I mean, I absolutely love Brandon. Like you mentioned the shot profile, the percentages. I mean, come on, if you, if you're efficient, you can, we'll, we'll make a way for you in the starting lineup. Like even with like Kevin Herter, like Kevin Herter has this offense that has like his significant drawbacks. Like even just playing with Trey, like, you know, Herter's like tall, but I mean, Herter's a bad defender and he especially was this, you know, playoffs mainly, which is probably where most people saw him at. It's like, you see that it's like, yo, if you're shooting the ball at like 40% clip and then we'll, 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 we'll figure out a way to get you, you know, playing time. That's just my opinion though. I actually, want to go in a bit of a different way than like us just talking about Johnny Davis sell me on Johnny Davis on the Hawks yeah I think that if you talk about rim pressure uh he's a little bit unconventional how he gets his buckets but he's not at the same time he is a guy who puts a lot of pressure on the defense he lives off the mid-range but um 
his mid range is more in like the seven to ten feet range rather than like deep twos or anything. He he has like incredible flexibility and that allows him to get by a lot of defenders despite uh, not having elite athleticism. He's a guy that like was talked about in like the five to seven range when he was at his peak, which is early in Big Ten play. He played for Wisconsin this year. Um, but I think people have kind of faded on him a little bit as the year has gone on because he was playing like at a player of the year level and then he had an ankle injury and he didn't look too great after the ankle injury, which has kind of left people like forgetting about what he was before that. But on top of that, his three point percentage isn't great. His shot isn't really like perfect. It's kind of like a two motion shot. So it's not ideal, but uh, in terms of like weaving through defenses and finding holes and getting to his jumper, he's one of the best that you'll find in this class. And I think if you're looking for rim pressure, he's not going to offer that, but he is going to offer efficiency in what he does at a level where teams have to respect it. And he will get open and will find guys. So, you know, I think that he's also uh, important to note that while I'm describing this, it's actually important to know that he's a really great off ball player. Uh, A lot of his cuts and a lot of his baskets are off of feeds where he just has to take a couple steps to get to his, to his uh, shot. So he's not a guy that has to have the ball in his hands constantly. That would kind of not gel with a Trey Young offense. But uh, the shooting is a concern, and I and I don't know uh, if that's going to come along. Yeah, I mean, you look at the shooting, and like, especially, you know, I, I hate to do the age thing, but like, it is important. Like, Johnny Davis will be 21 on the draft night, and like, you look at the shooting, and like, 30. percent I I mean, from three, that's like kind of hard for me to ignore, especially on a team where like. The Hawks, you know, mantra will always kind of just be, you know, firstly, Trey Young. And then secondly, it'll be like, hey, how good will this team shoot? I mean, everybody in the Hawks can shoot. Like, even like we even made John Collins a shooter. And like John Collins in college was very far from that. Like he was not a shooter. He was like a, a rim rolling guy. Like he was basically, you know, what we think of like Clint Capella as like the Hawks even added a shot to him. So I worry about that with Johnny Davis. Like I, I, I kind of. I, my biggest thing with Johnny Davis and in particular with the Hawks is, but also just in general about him is will, you know, the significance outweigh the negatives? Like, will the positive be enough to, you know, warrant, you know, if the shot de- never does come along, if the three point shot is, you know, just something where he's like either at league average or like below it. And that's something I do worry about, especially with the Hawks. Cause I mean, if you're on the Hawks, like the spacing's already bad enough. Whenever you consider like, you're always going to have Capella, on the floor, but like you add Johnny Davis into that, that's like two guys who, you know, Davis isn't a non-shooter, but he's not like a good shooter. And that's something I do worry about. Yeah. I think Johnny Davis is probably like a 30% or maybe a little bit better shooter from three point range for his rookie contract. So not ideal, but he's also not like a complete non-shooter. And if you're look, if your team philosophy is that everybody needs to shoot, then by all means, I don't think Johnny Davis is your guy. What do you think about Johnny's uh, Johnny Davis's defense next to Trey? I'm curious about that. Yeah, so he's like he's six four. He's kind of like college guard size. He's not like an NBA two guard size, um, but that that's what makes it difficult because he is a really good defender. Uh, he on Wisconsin, uh, he tracks his man really well, and you know that flexibility I was talking about uh, cutting to the cutting to the basket. Uh, it also applies to his defense. He's like great at screen navigation, uh, and overall, he just seems like a really smart defender. It's just a matter of the fact that he's not like an NBA two guard sized guy. So even if you are able to stick with your man, which is a positive, like what is he really going to do much else defensively? That's a question that a lot of people have raised. I think that he's going to be an above average NBA defender. I really think that, um, you know, the, the elite defenders of the league have to have outlier athletic traits to get there. 
more often than not, or you have to just have like Draymond IQ, <laughs> which you know isn't is extremely rare. So for a guy like Johnny Davis, I mean, if you like him as an above average NBA defender, then that just makes the fact that uh, he, his offensive flaws a little bit easier to stomach. And that's about where I fall on it, and that's why I have him lottery. All right, last question on Johnny Davis for me. This is about the defense. Is Johnny Davis, do you think he'll ever get to that level of being a defender where you can like point out the other team's you know best score, be like, hey, you got that matchup tonight? Or do you not? You don't think he's at that level, but he's still a good defender? I don't think he's going to be the guy where you're happy that you're putting him on somebody, but that he could handle the assignment, if that makes sense. Yeah, he's not going to be a revolving door on your on the other team's best guy, but he's also not the ideal defensive stopper i mean just talk about the hawks now like you like hunter's been the guy who's gotten the like assignments i mean he's gotten the luca assignment and you know watching luke in these playoffs you can see uh there's actually a meme for it. it's called that not easy uh that about yeah. explains that it's like look even just having you know some possessions where like hunter can just you know rest or you know get an easier assignment and you know someone else can step up in that role it's like that'd be very nice for the hawks especially um i'm curious about who you got next on the list i thought that was like really good discussion on johnny davis yeah, I figure, well, that's like the guys that are in the lottery traditionally across all people's boards uh, of, of who might be guys that slide down to 16. And maybe those are the guys who are realistically on the Hawks board. But if we're kind of going off of my board, there is another two guard who I have in the lottery. That's a bit more of a, a lottery ticket guy that maybe we could talk about. And it's Blake Wesley. Yeah, I, I would love to give you. I'd love to talk about him. So I'm just going to give you the floor personally. I know you're a, you're a bigger uh, Blake Wesley fan to me, and you also just know way more. So you know, here, here's the floor. Take it. I'm ready. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I don't. I only know a couple other guys who even have Wesley in the same range that I have him. Uh, I I haven't finished my board, but like I said, I'm basically looking at second rounders at this point. I have Blake Wesley at either nine or ten. Uh, it's it's between him and Shaden Sharp, who is not going to fall to the Hawks. Um. Blake Wesley was another guy who was completely, I mean, he wasn't unregarded. He was a top 100 recruit, but he's from South Bend, Indiana. And then he went to play for Notre Dame. And I think the fact that he committed to his hometown school left a lot of like scouts kind of missing out on seeing him without any of the intrigue around him. And he kind of came to Notre Dame and completely surprised people by how quickly he translated. Um, Just, just in my personal opinion, he's one of the top five rim pressure guys in the in, in this draft. Um, he, his, his burst is incredible. His first step is awesome. He's an athletic, you know, he's an NBA sized athletic freak, um, who also just has incredible, uh, knowledge of how to weave through defenses off the dribble. His handle is really nice. And, uh, he gets, he gets to the rim really easily and does it a lot every game. The problem is, is that it doesn't go in. Um, so he wasn't really like expected to be, he wasn't even starting for Notre Dame to start the season. He wasn't really expected to be this like main, main cog to their offense, but their offense really needed a rim pressure and really needed a guy to, uh, open up their shooters on the perimeter. They basically played like a five out, uh, most of the time with everybody else out on the perimeter. So he was basically tasked with repeatedly driving to the defense where the defense knew he was going to and kicking it out. And you know, at first it was working really well, and then he really started to struggle as teams figured out what their offense was. And his percentages are just terrible at, at all three levels, just being honest. Um, so even though he's got these incredible skills and skills and like skill set to build off of, right now the numbers don't really reflect that he's successful at doing it. And, uh, you know, he, he ended up finishing the season with kind of unprecedented usage for a, for a true freshman uh, in that Notre Dame offense. So 
it's easy to say that he was given too much of a load for where he was. But I really like him as a developmental guy. Um, his three-point shot, it, it has a little bit of mechanical issues that probably prevent him from being an elite three-point shooter. But I don't think he's a non-shooter. Um, and I think that his passing is pretty good. Uh, he needs to work on some of his precision in the passing. But the actual finding of reads is really is really nice. And I think the rim pressure is only going to get better. I, I, it seems like a lot of his misses are um, a, a deceleration issue where he needs to just learn how to play at a better pace. And freshmen typically have issues with that. So I'm very optimistic on the skill set just being an elite level. And you can really get something out of it um even at just like minimal success in development and his perimeter defense profiles as uh being some of the best in this class as well yeah i first of all i just want to say shout out to you for you know you, i was I, there was like a few times in there i was like okay maybe this is it but no like you you like went all in on wesley i really appreciate that like i even learned some things and like i will say i think it was the Rutgers game I saw Wesley, and I think that was like the play-in for like the NCAA tournament, I believe. Don't quote yeah. me on that. Uh, Wesley was like one of the guys who really popped from that game. Like I knew who he was, and I had seen like a couple of games up to that point. But in that game, he just completely popped for me. Like one thing that you mentioned, and the one thing that I immediately noticed about him was his ability to get pressure on the rim. Like he really did a good job of that. And his defense, like 100%, that guy... You said he has one of the best perimeter defense in the profiles. I 100% agree with that. Just like watching that game, I saw a guy who's, you know, playing defense, getting pressure on the rim. And also, I don't think he's a, a non-shooter by any means. Yeah, he's got he's got a lot of bend in his legs or like his legs kind of both bend inward on his on his uh, kind of like power buildup, which isn't great. And it's probably something that you want to try to coach out um, that. But that's like the main mechanical issue with this shot. I don't think that there's a lot of issue with it. The, the one thing I really like is that he's really comfortable getting into his pull-up. Um, like, and, and he gets a lot of elevation on his pull-up as well. Uh, it just looks kind of like an NBA shot already, even if it's not going in right now. So, you know, I, I really think it's close enough that I feel really optimistic about it being fixed or being a lot more effective with NBA development. And I really don't think, again, that he was ready for this role and the team didn't really have chance to work on his game to get him prepared for this. They had to just throw him into it. And I, for all, uh, for all purposes, you know, I think it, it was a success in the sense of team. It got NBA teams attention and it got my attention for sure. So me having him nine or 10, I have him a lot higher than other people. And I really think he'll be there for the Hawks unless the team promises him. Um, because I think most outlets have him in kind of the twenties to, late first but he signed with an agent right away out of notre dame which kind of makes me think that a team is zeroed in on him so we'll see what ends up happening draft night i would definitely be happy with him on the hawks i just want to ask you this very quickly on wesley does the three throw number worry you or no i actually don't know off the top of my head what his free throw numbers 65 are. and now that's that's in a reasonable range you know freshmen typically don't shoot well from the free throw line even if they end up shooting well long term i'm not too worried about that 65 is totally reasonable and it yeah. kind of matches with his three-point shot right now. Yeah, his splits were a uh, 40, 30, 65 this past season. So, And Pretty honestly, fun. that's better than it, than it looked down the stretch when he, when the defenses really started zeroing in on him. So, yeah, I think the only way is up for him. And, and he's a guy that will provide the room pressure that you're talking about the Hawks sorely needing. Yeah, they definitely need like another dynamic to this offense. And I feel like pretty much every guy we've talked about so far has like has like that element of rim pressure like maybe not Branham but I feel like Daniels Davis and uh, uh, Blake Wesley are all guys who are like who provide that aspect of like hey that's another 
point of y'all's offense, like a point of attack y'all can do. But that's just, you know, I like Wesley. I, I'd be, all the picks I'd be cool with so far, but he's like one of the guys who if we take him, like, I, that's one of those things where I'm very much like excited about and everybody's like, hey, who, who's this? Like this guy is a bit lower on like Tankathon and stuff. But it's one of those things where I'm doing like the SpongeBob yes yelling. So, yeah. Well, I got two other guys that I could talk about here uh, that are the last two guys on my list. And they're both guys that uh, kind of fit your your hope for a guy who can play on the wing with, with Hunter. And that's uh, Jake LaRavia and EJ Liddell. Do you have either of those guys in kind of 16-pick range, or are you a little lower? I have LaRavia that high, I do believe. All right, I have LaRavia at 27, and I have Liddell at uh, 37. So, you know, like yeah. 20 spots flat at the lowest. Yeah, I have LaRavia at 17, so I think he's a guy who's realistic pick. Uh, Liddell is more like a guy I would mention as being an option, even though I wouldn't necessarily have him as my pick. I have him at 22. Um. But Jake LaRavia is a do-everything uh, kind of like 3-4 tweener. Uh, I think he can play the NBA 3, especially if he's not playing, if like the opposing team's 3 isn't like a more guard-oriented player. Um, yeah, I think that he's a guy who just has a lot of strength to his game. Uh, he's a strength-based creator. Uh, he's got a great frame for it. And I've seen that he's actually gotten a little bit leaner in his workouts. Um, which should help with some of his foot speed because, uh, you know, he he is coming from a mid-major program originally at Indiana State. He transferred to Wake Forest, and he really broke out at Wake Forest in a way that they didn't even see it in the Missouri Valley at Indiana State. Uh, he's got incre- he's got great vision for uh, a forward. I, th- I think he's one of the smartest guys in this class. Uh, so he plays with great pace. He fi- he can find guys easily off the bounce. Uh, his shot looks really nice. He shot about 38% from three, I want to say. I, I'm going off the top of my head. But uh, he, he he can score from all three levels, in my opinion. And But the main thing is that he does have some of the uh, skills of a four-man that allow him to go to the rim and just power through guys. I think the main thing is just uh, a question of... And I don't really have a lottery grade on him. He's the first guy I don't have a lottery grade on. At 17, I have 16 lottery grades. Um... Uh, well, do I have six dollar grades? I don't know how to describe my board. I guess I do, but uh, he's he's a guy who I think is more of like he do, does a little bit of everything at the at the NBA level. It's going to take a little bit of a hit at every level because of the fact that he's not like a crazy athlete, but not take a hit enough so that he's not going to be valuable. I think he's just going to be a cog piece. He's a perfect role role player, um, and yeah. I, I what what do you think about Laravia? Have I I think feel like I kind of glossed over some of his stuff. No, I really like Laravia. He was a guy I actually didn't get to till like later in the cycle. You know, watching him and stuff. I feel like first of all, you you, you talk about this guy, and always the first thing that hits me are like his splits are like insane: fifty five, thirty eight, and seventy seven percent. Like, come on now that that's like absurd to be shooting like good of a, a shot. And like his true shooting percentage is sixty four, which is like that. I want to put that put this into perspective. Sixty four true shooting percentage is considered like elite for like a big man who sits under the rim and just like you know like puts in like layups and lobs and stuff. 64% for somebody who's like actually shooting the ball and stuff like that's really, really good. Um, one thing I like about Little Ravia, and there's actually another guy in this class who's kind of like this. He kind of in a lot of ways, and I don't know if you'll agree with me on this or not. He, he reminds me of Danilo Gallinari. It doesn't look like Gallinari is going to be on the team this next year. So, I mean, a Danilo Gallinari replacement sounds nice. I mean, obviously, we didn't get Gallinari until later in his career, but Little Ravia, he reminds me a lot of that. 
Yeah, he's 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 smaller than Gallinari, and he's not going to be the three point like legend for his size that Gallinari was. Uh, but I think he is a guy who who will hit his open shots, and he is a guy who can attack from the perimeter despite being the size of a four man in terms of like bulk. I think that's really one of the main things that's exciting about him is that I, I truly believe in his rim pressure uh, from the perimeter, not just as like a post player. And when he is in the post, he has the strength to to contend with NBA-sized post players. And his motor is really cr- great, too. I, that's another thing I haven't added, that he's a guy who's really going to energize your team with his effort. So, uh, yeah, I think that he's a guy who could easily slide into the four spot and, and give John Collins some help. Um, for now, I think that uh, he does profile as a four first, but he's got the handle to already kind of slide to the three if you need him to. So, you know, he could be a guy who plays when Hunter's not healthy or when hunter needs needs a rest he is a guy who could slide in there and i think that's what's most important is you need a guy who can support some of the some of your other uh players when they're not at their best yeah absolutely and laravia one thing you mentioned about him like very on about talking to him is how like he's one of the smartest players in this class that's something the hawks absolutely need not to be rude to some of the Hawks players, but there's sometimes some guys on this team get the ball in their hands and they just, they, they like kind of freeze up. They don't know what to do. They're either like, they either just completely like don't know what to do or they're very awkward with it. Kind of talking about you, Kevin Herter. I know uh, he's kind of prone to that. I, I know there was some Hawks fans who were, you know, Herter gets the ball and he just, it kind of seems like his like mind just goes away. So having just like a very smart basketball IQ player like Laravia's, that would be like huge for the Hawks in my opinion. Yeah, for sure. Uh, let's yeah, talk about I, the last guy on your list. Yeah, EJ Liddell is kind of like, uh, if everyone else is gone, what do we do? Or maybe if we trade down a few picks, who's there? Um, he He's the guy, he's another 3-4 tweener, but I think he's really more of a 4 than Liddell. I mean, LaRavia, where LaRavia kind of has the handle where he can attack as a 3. But Liddell is m- way more post-oriented. Uh, he's got a great mid-range game, but he's also a very strong strength-based creator where he can get to the rim. Uh, he basically last year he was exclusively a post player at Ohio State, and he went to the G League Combine and just kind of looked outmatched. And he went, he got the feedback that he needed to bring his shot out to the perimeter, and he needed to be a better defender. And uh, you know, I didn't really have him on my radar, and then he just exploded out of the gate. And he he's basically he can score from all three levels now. I do believe in that. Um, but but he isn't really a guy who creates a lot off the dribble. When he does, you don't necessarily like love it. Um, but in terms of defense, he's made big strides, and I think that's where he he'll get a lot of his value. Because even though he's a traditional kind of four man size, and maybe even a little undersized for an NBA four, uh, he's a great perimeter defender. Or per, uh, sorry, not perimeter, interior defender and rim protector. Uh, because he's just really. Ex- Learned learned how to use his uh, verticality and learned how to get the right timing on blocks and he's a guy who give you a lot of energy on that end through his effort and I think that uh, he's a work in progress on perimeter defense but not a lost cause um, you know but he will be primarily matched up on bigs and maybe he can even play some small ball five if you're really feeling uh, feeling adventurous about it so if you ever move on from Capella and you need to give or Okongwu and you need to give either of them a spell then he could probably play there yeah i i think the thing that intrigues me the most about liddell and i'm just going to be you know pretty open about this i he's one of the guys i know less about like i watched him a few times wasn't really a fan but also like wasn't like a you know wasn't like a hater of him or anything but i look i like his versatility i like all the things you mentioned like a guy who can come in and get some relief to you know john collins give some release to the bigs in our rotation because like 
those guys play a lot and they and those guys like they they do bang a lot down low like it's not easy for them it's it, it gets physical down there yeah he's he's a guy who doesn't shy away from contact whatsoever i think that he'll really embrace playing a tougher style of ball um i actually think he has a lot of like kind of like the uh villain energy that john collins likes to have in the postseason and i, I would just love to have that uh mentality continue throughout the roster so yeah, yeah i think he would fit right in uh, did you have anything else you want to talk about? Any more prospects you want to talk about for the Hawks before we move on to our next topic? Uh, that's all I got at 16. I think that, uh, you know, that's a really good list to work off of. If, if you can get any of those guys, I think it's a win. Yeah, no, for sure. Look, uh, like, you want to talk about pick 44 first? Or you want to talk about the possibility of trading the pick? Which one do you want to do? Well, I guess maybe the trading the pick. All right. What what's your you know? It's no secret that the Hawks they're they're in trade rumors. Just in the past week alone, we've been in three different ones, which is kind of funny between Mitchell, Gobert, and Simmons. What's your uh, what's your stance on the Hawks moving the pick? Is that something you would do? I mean, you know this draft class. You know how things you know might shift. I mean, at, at the end of the day, it is the NBA draft. Anything can happen. You know, so anybody could fall. You know, just because a guy's projected what like top eight or whatever now, he could very much fall to the Hawks. And you know, when the draft comes around, but from where you're at right now, what do you think about the Hawks and trading this pick? I think you only move the pick if the right offer comes around, if the right guy is available. I don't think you move it just to move it, just to do a temporary upgrade. I think the Hawks have been building for so many years, it would be a shame if they kind of like cap themselves by moving a lot of assets for a guy who doesn't raise their ceiling that high. Um, so if the right guy is available, I would certainly be open to moving the pick and wouldn't think twice about it if the right guy is available. But I think that the Hawks sneakily have some guys that are kind of on the wings that haven't come play for them yet, Jalen Johnson specifically, that could make could really be a ceiling raiser for them once he's developed. So if you want to make kind of temporary moves to see if different looks can make you look better, I think maybe that's the move if you don't see like a guy on your list pop up as available in free agency. All right, a team is like, hey, we'll do this trade. One last thing, though, you have to add in pick 16. Are you doing it? What kind of player are we talking about? Uh oh oh hard one Ben Simmons. The Nets ah, want Capella on a first. What 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 am, what else am I sending with Ben Simmons? I guess that's the question. The Nets want Capella on a first. They want to do it now. You have five minutes to answer. Oh yes, Mark yes, yes. Somewhere yeah. else. Please okay. do. Yeah, take him. Is that because you're low on Capella's contract or what? No, I just think no. I think you already have Okongwu, uh, like in the wings, ready to take over Capella's role at a moment's notice. I, he might not be like Capella right away. I think you have a guy who just the, the number one thing that you don't want to do is trade somebody in your rotation who, who when you move for another guy just opens up another hole. So uh, when, when you've already got a guy who can play and spell Simmons as a center and and I think the number one thing with Simmons is that you have to make sure he's willing to play center. Um, if you can if you have a Kong who's still in the wings and I, I don't see any reason why Capella is anything but like a additional asset that you're happy to move in a trade. So Capella and 16 for Simmons to me is a worthwhile risk. All right. Let's say, uh, Oh gosh. Um, I'm trying to think of someone lesser than, Oh, Malcolm Brogdon. Mm. You, they won't, uh, Herder and pick 16. You doing it? Oh, if it's Herder, then yes. Uh, even though Brogdon has his injury issues, I think that his injury proneness is a bit exaggerated. He just had kind of a, some poor luck over the last few years. Uh, and, and they haven't been the same injuries each time either. It's not like he's repeatedly injuring his leg, like Hunter, for example. But <laughs> um, 
I don't know. That that one's borderline. I mean, if it was Herder, then I would probably be fine with it. But if if we were doing Capello in 16 again, then it's kind of, I don't know, then it's kind of like even value at that point. I feel like I would just trust the pieces I have over a guy who misses time. Capello in 16 for Miles Turner. Ooh. Ah, gosh. Yeah, I would do that. I think turn at this point in their careers, where we don't know if Capel's in the downturn or if it was just that he didn't fit the offense as well this year. Maybe you could. Maybe he's lost. <laughs> but I don't know. I th- I really I think Miles Turner is, is worth it for sure. He's not like the difference is that Miles Turner has been saying that he wants to be a second option or or first option in offense, which is kind of unrealistic for him. And when you trade him on the Hawks, I don't know that he's going to really be happy with his role. Yeah. Maybe he will. Maybe he'll just like to change the scenery, but yeah, I, mean, I, I actually not know that. Having Trey Young take all the touches. Yeah, that's going to be a very concerning thing is because, like, me and Logan were talking about this today. You know, it was about Rudy Gobert. It's like Rudy Gobert kind of complains about how, like, sometimes Donovan Mitchell ball hogs and doesn't play defense good enough. I'm like, yo, he's going to get to Atlanta play with Trey, and he's not going to be happy. <laughs> but No, no, the difference – here's the difference, though, is that Trey Young is ball hog, but he passes the ball to his teammates evenly. Donovan Mitchell refused to pass to Gobert for, like, months at a time. <laughs> I can understand why he's pissed at that point. I think Gobert would be a little bit happier with Trey Young. Do you think there? Do you think there's legitimate beef there, or do you think those guys just like don't like each other, but they're willing to make it in a professional sense, or has their beef reached a level where it's like I hate seeing this guy every single day? I think they probably learned to be professional after the COVID stuff, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they were friends, and they're probably not happy with each other. I think it's legit, probably. Okay. But it's prob- But I think when people talk about them like, hating each other's guts, I just have my doubts. Yeah, that kind of seems unrealistic. Like, I don't know. There's obviously been stories from, like, NBA players, but I wonder how much that stuff is over-exaggerated. Like, I really can't imagine that, you know, at some point, these guys do become your family just for the fact that you're with them for, like, days at a time. Like, every day you're going to be seeing them, and you're going to be seeing them in, like, close-quarter situations, like plane rides, bus rides, you know, just in the locker room and stuff. I, I can't imagine just, you know, being like, I hate this guy so much. I'd never want to see him again. Like, I can get not liking someone, but uh, all right. Well, I'll move. tell you what, I'm a Wizards fan, and every year there's a rumor that some guy we just signed hates this guy, and they hate him back, and then it turns out it was actually true. What, so what's some your... franchises have worse luck than others. I'm sorry to ask you this, but it's in the news. Stance on the Dinwiddie trade now that uh, it kind of seems like Dinwiddie is that guy for the Mavericks. Oh, well, he's not that guy. Uh, I think that, you know, we're forgetting that he was kind of poor for most of the series and then kind of came on in two blowouts. But, I mean, Dinwiddie was way better in Brooklyn than he was for the Wizards. I don't, it seemed like he was just completely at odds with the team from the get-go. The team didn't like him. Uh, and I don't know what why that is. I don't really have any poor like ill feelings for him. I just didn't think it worked. And... You know, I think it was, it was a mutually beneficial trade at the end of the day because we we like having Porzingis on the team. Actually, we, unlike the Mavericks, we don't have the same aspirations that the Mavs do right now with what we've got. So I'm happy to just have like the best player in that trade on on the roster, and it also gives us some financial flexibility down the road that the, the uh, Bertans contract wouldn't have given us. Yeah, no that that contract. Somebody like told me this day. I honestly didn't believe it until like I went and looked it up. It was like. You can say whatever you want to about Dinwiddie's performance, but they're going to be paying Bertons for longer than the than the Wizard will be pl- be paying Chris Stapps for Zingas. I was like, "There's no way that's right, true, right?" I looked and it was. I was like, "Oh my gosh!" Like, 
y'all really just backed up the brink trucks for Bertans. Like, I can't blame you because after that absurd shooting season, it's like, all right, you got to pay this guy. But I, I could don't know. still blame us. That contract was bad from the start, man. <laughs> I was so upset with that. <laughs> you know, there was a you Hawks know, fan who wanted to pay us Bertans thirty million a year at one point. Oh my gosh, I. I can't like four that. years, 120 million. I, I, if you want me, to, I, it was something like that. It was absurd. Yeah, you know the Wizards, the reputation around the league for years when we had uh, Grunfeld as our GM. Uh, thank God we don't anymore. The reputation with Washington was if you want to go get paid, just say that you want to play for the Wizards, and they'll pay overpay you every time. And that happened year after year after year. And I, we got a new GM who seems way more. Uh, equipped to to handle the job just being honest and yet we're still overpaying guys because no one wants to play for the wizards so i'm getting frustrated with that but uh you know as long as we have guys in the locker room who want to be there we can maybe start building a culture and i I hope we continue doing that you know what i'm gonna be honest i really haven't had like i know we play we're in the same division at all you know i'm gonna be honest i actually hated the wizards back when y'all had like paul pierce i'll never forget i was in a buffalo wild wings <laughs> in roswell new mexico when paul pierce hits that shot and then after he's like I, my favorite player was dennis schroeder at the time after the game he's like that's a shot he only hits with me in 2k i was very excited whenever al horford like hit that like tip in game winner that pretty much sealed the series just want to say that look i i like bradley bill actually and i i wish him success uh, I didn't like him when like he t- when he was trying to steal Trey's All Star spot, but in general, I do like Big Ben's Bill. Yeah, I think the Wizards have uh, kind of been a team that people have just not really paid enough attention to at their peak when they had John Wall and Bradley Beal, and not didn't realize how like John Wall's injury completely changed like a really positive trajectory that team was on. Um, you know, they had just been one game out from the Eastern Conference Finals, and then suddenly, like, John Wall kind of puts up a lackluster year, and then he gets injured, and then it's all just disaster. So, uh, you know, it's it's been frustrating as a Wizards fan to basically feel like we've never really had a peak that is respectable in about 20 years now, and it still looks like we're years out from that, and I don't even know if we can really do it with the current core. So, but you've kissed we'll her. see. Yeah, I mean, I like Kispert. But, oh, you do? Yeah. Oh, I didn't think you would. I'm kind of surprised by that. Yeah, well, I actually didn't really have him as high as we took him last year. But, uh, you know, he went, what, 15? Yeah. But, I and I had good. him more in the 20s. But he's been really surprisingly good. Uh, I think that he looks way more capable as a defender as I thought that, than I thought he would be. Uh, he's shooting right out the gate, which we all expected. But uh, even on the dribble, he, looks a lot, he, he showed it at Gonzaga, but he really wasn't, like, attacking out the dribble very much prior to the NBA, but he looks a lot more comfortable than I was expecting on that in that regard too. So overall way more confident uh, and way more like uh, all around player than I thought he was when I really thought he was more of a shooting specialist. So yeah, looking sure. forward to seeing what he becomes. Yeah, for sure. Well, let's uh, let's move on to our last topic of the day and that's a uh, pick 44. I mean, obviously, you know, you can't really project guys because in the second round, I mean, it's it really just becomes, Hey, what, what kind of value can we get out of you instead of we're taking you to contribute now? But, uh, you know, pick 44, I feel like back to earlier, I said this, you know, very early in the podcast. I was like, with the Hawks at the bare minimum need to improve that defense. And I even think like even stretching into the second round, that's something you need to look at. One thing I would really like the Hawks to look at in the second round is like another point guard, maybe, or just somebody who can hold control the ball. Like, obviously, you know, I don't know what your feelings on Sharif Cooper are. You know, he was a Hawks two-way guy. He was, like, one of those guys who fell to us very late. But, like, just getting, like, more of those guys who, like, have the potential to be, you know, be able to handle the ball, I would absolutely love a pick like that. 
look, as long as they don't take like a center, like we, we don't need to draft any more centers. We're good on centers for like another four years at the very least. And then you, we can, we can circle back to that. Everything else I could see, but like the thing I want is like, get, let's take another shot at getting someone who like, maybe they're able to like play backup point guard cheaply on the rookie contract and stuff. Yeah, the one this draft even in particular is really hard to predict in the second round. Like last year, I think most people could predict probably got like 30 to, out of the 40 first. If you're predicting the draft, like the first 40 picks, most people probably got like 30 out of the 40 if they were predicting. This year, I don't think anyone's going to get close to that. Uh, it's just so unpredictable. And really like the differences in like perceptions of guys in, in, from like 30 to 50 is just not really that big. It's just a lot of role players in there. And one theme from this draft is that kind of like uh, the point guard class is really weak. So a lot of those point guards, assuming teams don't reach for them, are really projected to be in the 30 to 50 range, where maybe a couple of them that you might like fall to the to the Hawks. Um, John Montero is a guy who I'm not really sure what his stock is. That's going to be a theme. Uh, he's a guy who can really handle the ball. His handle is really nice. Um, his shot percentages at overtime elite out of atlanta um not the best but they he's just really like aesthetically pleasing like everything he does looks really effortless but then the stats don't necessarily back it up right now but he's really young and, and he's a he's definitely a traditional point guard and somebody that would probably believe, maybe fall to the 40s if teams are a little bit concerned about his defense um he's kind of tray sized honestly that's kind of the best way to describe his size is that he is kind of Trey Young sized. Uh, are you a Montero guy? I actually, I like, I think I like John Montero more than like most people do. Like, I, I do feel like him just playing at Overtime Elite. And like, I think on our first podcast, me and you actually talked about this. How, like, if you watch Overtime Elite, the commentary was just like very, I don't, I don't, I mean, obviously they're not going <laughs> to be like NBA professional, but like, if you watch that, like, it was very um, like it was it was one of those things where you mute unless you're just intentionally trying to make fun of it. But I feel like that turned off a lot of people when it came to him. But like, I actually do like his game. Like, I feel like he's one of the better shot creators in this class, which is something like absolute the Hulk should value. Yeah, he has he, one of his best uh, elements of his game is how, how beautiful his pull up looks. Uh, he gets into it really effortlessly as a really nice step back too, and and he get and, and the release is pretty quick as well. It's just like the percentages are just not good right now. And it's just kind of weird because apparently in workouts, he, he hits his shots at a great clip. So what you wonder why he was struggling against high school competition. That's a bit of a concern, but that, that's most of the concern for me outside of maybe being a little too small to be a defensive stopper or anything. This actually uh, like a month ago, this is where I had Caleb Love at, by the way. just want to point that out. <laughs> I almost had it. Yeah. I, Caleb Love would have been an interesting pick for, for the Hawks. I don't oh, know if he's a guy me. you trust with. Handling the ball. Next year, what Woody's lottery? <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. We'll see. UNC is going to be pretty good next year. Some people are putting them as their preseason number one, and that's wrong. I'm just going. It's not. I'm not just going to say I disagree. That's wrong. Yeah, I have Georgia but, Tech preseason um, number one. Oh, that's wrong too. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Uh, but UNC is going to be a really good environment next year. So if Caleb Bob doesn't succeed in that environment, then I don't know what he's expected to do as a pro but we'll see if he doesn't succeed in this environment like i'll i'll i'll, I'll maybe wave the white flag like i'm not full-on <laughs> waving the white flag like whenever you like you have a draft prospect guy I, I need him to be on his second nba or professional contract before i'm willing to say i was wrong you know unless it's like a you know a secu doom uh 
thing where like i'm just like okay you know what i was wrong let me move on from this let me just let's just forget about that as a whole um one guy this guy's very high on my big board i've actually got some questions about it is andrew nimhard love him if the hawk if he's available at 44 okay yeah don't even don't even call the pick in run it run it in get mark tatum on the phone that's who we want i like him a lot so last year gonzaga you know the kispert uh jalen suggs uh drew timmy team uh, he, he kind of was like the the fifth starter, I felt like. Um, so I think a lot of people overlooked him as as a prospect. Uh, he didn't even get invited to the G. Did he even test the process? I can't even remember. But he returned to school, and this year, uh, you know, he had a much larger role, and, and he really succeeded in it. Uh, one of the reasons that people weren't really that high on him is that his three point shot, his th- his percentages was, were not good for his career. He started at Florida, then went to Gonzaga. And across all those years, he just really wasn't a three-point shooter. The shooting this year was good, though. Uh, it was in the mid-30s. Um, he looks confident taking it. He took quite a few attempts. Uh, but he, the main thing that the thing that you like about him is the fact how patient he is as a cutter, and uh, how great he is that he is at passing off the drive. I mean, he's one of the best passers in the class, and uh, he he's a good point guard defender as well. I don't know if he can really guard up the lineup to other positions that well. He he probably could guard some twos. But he's probably primarily guarding other ones, and yeah, you know, he's good at it. So yeah, he's he's just like a solid point guard pick. I I, I would be happy with that. He probably profiles as a as a uh, easy to plug and play backup point guard. You think he could play with Trainy or no? Yeah, I mean, you know, he he's shown through evidence that he's willing to play off ball. He he played on a team that went, you know, undefeated in the regular season, or did they lose one game? I can't remember. But uh, oh yeah, they went undefeated. Um, you know, he he was willing to take a lesser role. He 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 even sought out a lesser role, and I, I don't really think that his uh, style is predicated on him getting a ton of touches. So you know, I think that he definitely could. You probably would prefer to have him kind of playing like staggered, so that he is covering the minutes where Trey isn't on the floor. But I'm sure they could share the floor. Yeah, no, I mean, I just ask you that because you know Nate McMillan, he'd be uh, I don't know, he he be he'd be playing Trey Young and Lou Williams sometimes. So I'm like. Okay, I just I I've learned to expect the backup point guard and Trey, you know, rotations just because it's going to happen. So I just try and figure out who the best fit for that is. So it's just not as bad as you know, Trey and Lou Williams, which is actually kind of funny because I slander that, but those guys, those two, literally won like a playoff game down by twenty six to the Sixers. So I don't. Yeah, truth. Uh, last guy I actually want to talk about for the pick forty four, and then you know I'm all good. Uh, it, it's it's a very it's a, a name that's special to me. Okay, uh, I want to <laughs> talk about him. The, your guy, by the way, uh, Orlando Robinson. <laughs> <laughs> I am not as high on him, so I think you should start. I, I will say by high on him, like I have him at 51. So like, I don't know, like, I just feel like there's enough of an offensive game there to where you can like take him and like, let's see if there's anything there. But like, I don't feel like he's a, he's like a guy who you're expecting to be good. So what what type of player is he? Like some background on his position and like role? <sighs> oh, Lord. Oh. Nikolai Yodov, Um, I don't, I don't even know. Like, oh gosh, like Enos Cantor, maybe with better touch. And like, if you're taking that in the second, like that's not bad. Even though Enos Cantor is kind of a meme nowadays, but like, I don't know. He's never going to be a defensive guy, but the guy can get boards and he can, he can, he is an offensive game. I feel like, like Enos Cantor well, with like a 15 foot jump shot. Yeah, I was going to say you're selling him short by by not uh, pointing out that he's a center who can actually shoot, and like definitely projects as a shooter. Um, 
yeah, he he can he is a three level scorer as a center. Um, that part is is obvious, and and I don't think there's any doubt about it. Problem is that he is just really not an NBA athlete to me. Um, he tested at the G League Combine last year and was one of the worst athletes at the G League Combine. That's not even the main Combine. <laughs> um, it just kind of looked like a step slower than everyone else. But he did have a much better year than uh, this year than last year, and he's going to be back at the G League Combine this year. So. Maybe we'll see that he's made some athletic improvements, and maybe then I'll change my mind. But I, I can't shake the mi- memory of him being kind of outclassed last year in, in the draft process. He kind of moves like a, a 94 Ford Explorer in the most polite way. Like he he is very slow. Like that that's I don't even feel like that's overselling. Like he is very very slow. My my dad drove a 94 Explorer. I know exactly what you're talking about. See, there you go. <laughs> Actually, perfect analogy. I didn't even know the draft combine's hard to say, but yeah. Um, anyways, you know, do you have anything else you want to talk about? You know, we're about an hour into this podcast. Uh, no, I would, I would say basically that the second round this year, if you want to take, if you have a, a, a type of role player in mind, they're probably going to be around. Uh, there's just a, t- a really big pool of guys to choose from. I, I think probably my second round, if I really cared to, could have gone out to like 90 guys. Um, but it's not a it's a deep class in the sense that it's a deep class of of role players, but not a deep class of starter upside guys. So just know what you're getting there, and hope that you get a guy who who can maybe be your eighth or ninth guy in your rotation. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, looking. I mean, whenever you're picking like in the second, like this is even a high pick in the second. Like this is like lottery for the second, like lottery numbers. Like you're 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 not gonna you know be drafting for a guy who's like all right you're either contributing this year or we're drafting because we think we see potential in you you're trying to just draft something for value so i feel like that's like a lot of guys like the hawks if they if they make this pick or even if they make any picks this draft will be looking at at 44 yeah i i see a lot of i've seen like threads about this on on forums like multiple times where people say who's the herb jones in this draft who's the guy who i'm going to get in a second who's just going to be like this insane defensive stopper and like and the answer is that's not a common thing. That's like that doesn't happen in every draft. Uh, last draft was so deep that a lot of really good players fell to the second round. That's not going to happen this year, except for maybe like you're going to find a couple guys maybe, but it's not like last year where you actually have some guys that you wanted to take in the first still there. So um, just just setting expectations is, is important. Yeah, and look, Herb Jones shouldn't have fell that far. That was ridiculous. That guy should not have fell that far at all. No, absolutely not. All right. Uh, anyway, you know, let's start writing things up. You know, Gary, I'm going to give you the floor. You know, shout out anything you want to say anything else you want to. You know, it was good to have you on the podcast, but you have the floor. Feel free to, you know, say whatever you got to say. Yeah. Uh, check us. Check out our podcast that we did get to together on, on the draft. We also do it with uh, QK Hoops on Twitter. Uh, you can find me at Half Awake Takes on Twitter. And uh, yeah, we'll be doing another episode after the combine. So look out for that where we kind of analyze what happened and look forward to doing that with you. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, I mean, obviously, your links will be in the description. You know, you already know that, though. Uh, just want to say thank you to everyone for listening. You know, be sure to check out the links in the description. There will be links to Garrett stuff, link, links to the draft class dropout stuff where you can listen to us. We have an episode coming this weekend, I think, where we either this weekend or very early next week. We're talking about the combine more in depth. But as always, just want to say thank you for listening. Have a great day. Love you. Goodbye.